This episode is brought to you in partnership with Magic Madhouse. For all your needs of Magic the Gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, World of Warcraft, Cardfight Bangwords, repacks, accessories, anything to do with your collectible or trade card games needs, please visit magicmadhouse.co.uk. Free UK delivery on orders over £20 and if you enter the code GMS Tang on your first order, you will get a 10% discount. Mind you, not on special offers, but anything else, do enjoy that discount. Thank you for your support. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the RPG interview room. I am Paco Garcia, your host. In this room, which both, of course, by the way, you're more than welcome to come in, sit down, you know, there are plenty of space around. Just uh, kick your shoes off, put your feet up, make yourself comfortable and have a good time with a cup of tea or any other kind of beverage. In this room, as you know, we tend to talk to people and I like bringing in people that I find interesting for one reason or another or another. The case is I find them interesting. And... Uh, the man that I am with today is interesting on many, many counts, not just because of the amount of time that he's been working in the RPG industry, but actually the, also the kind of career and changes that he's gone through in the RPG industry. Ed Hilly, welcome to the RPG interview room. How are you, sir? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, it's, it's an absolute pleasure having you around. It's something that I've been... Uh, longing to do for quite some time because um, I mean I've, I've known about you for years, and um, your presence in the RPG world is something that has always interested me because you've been coming and going, and I think it's safe to say that everything and anything that you have done within RPG has been wildly successful. How the I wouldn't go so. I wouldn't go that so that. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but, but it's, it's true. I mean, people still talk about Eden Studios and all flesh must be eaten. Um, you have set up um, marketing campaigns for quite a few companies. You were very successful with Cobble Quarterly. I mean, everything that you have done has worked. Although, you know, to be fair, using some of the examples that you just uh, given, Eden Studios is successful because George Vasilakos made it successful. I was only a small part of helping him uh, do that. And Cobalt Quarterly was only successful because Wolfgang Bauer is just a great editor-in-chief, and he was gracious enough to ask me – well, he didn't ask me if I wanted to be involved. I proposed to him to be involved, and he said, sure, I could use the help. And so if – you know, for instance, if you think that uh, Eden Studios did is doing well or has done well in the past, that credit really goes to to George. Um, it's his baby, and he's the one that has made it successful over the, all these years. And you know, and KQ would never have been successful uh, without Wolfgang. I may have helped a little bit in certain ways, but um, but those guys, you know, uh, I guess. Uh, I like to find people that are doing interesting things and help them do interesting things. It doesn't mean that those, you know, people wouldn't have uh, done well without me. And I'm 
very happy when people are um, interested in working with me. But um, yeah, I, I guess I would say I, I don't want to take credit for other people's great stuff because those people are the ones that made it quality. And I was just happy to shine a light on the good things that they were doing. Yeah, man, but the light you shone was very bright indeed. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I like to do, man. I like to find people that are doing good and interesting, I mean, you know, good things. And I like to um, tell people about the good things that other people are doing. That's what I get joy from. And um, I mean, this what you're doing really well as well. The Gamirati uh, network seems to be working really well and, and it's becoming extremely popular. I hope so. I hope it becomes something that is uh, an agent for good and celebrates good things in the industry. That's what I hope for it. Here, here. Now, let's go a little bit into your story. Um, Eden Studios, what was your background before that? How did you get involved in, in creating what many people consider to be the, the ultimate zombie-themed uh, role-playing game? So, do you want the... Um, 30-second version or the five-minute version? Oh, the podcast is yours, man. As long as you wish to take. All right. So uh, when I uh, was in college back in 92, the internet was basically a black screen with green text, mm -hmm. you know? And I would use it for Zork. I don't know if you remember Zork. <laughs> yes. um, or I would get tab for my guitar. And then I went overseas. My parents were missionaries over in Bulgaria, and I took um, the... Christmas break of 2000, oh, sorry, of 1993, I went to visit them and I met what the person that would become my wife. And so I didn't go back to college. I went back to Bulgaria and hung out to court her. And then um, by the time I went back to college, it was 1995 and I'm, I'm sitting in the business lab typing up a report and the guy next to me had all these cool pictures and things on his computer. And I, I asked him, well, what is that? And he said, well, that's the internet. And I was like, that's not the internet. The internet is, you know, text on a screen. He said, no. And he introduced me to the joys of Alta Vista and the uh, Netscape Navigator, uh, <laughs> you know. And so being a, being the, the dork that I am, the very first thing that I did a search for was Dungeons and Dragons. So that was the first internet search I did on Alta Vista back in 1995. Well, the internet was a very different place back then. That said, Tracy Hickman had a, a homepage already. Um, people probably know him from Dragonlance. And so he had some Dragonlance stories and adventures that had never been published. I thought it was awesome. And he had this new project called Starshield. And Starshield was, think Farscape in a sense. You know, it's a, you're in space, but there's all these little pocket universes that you can pop. They have different uh, technology and magical um, realities that you can pop back and forth to. And you could, it was a shared world thing. And if you did something pretty cool, he would put it in one of his books or it would become part of the game. Mm -hmm. And so it turns out there was a company called New Millennium Entertainment, and they were doing the role-playing game based on the Starshield universe. And so I was involved um, just talking back and forth with them, and I realized, um, based on a comment one of them made, that they were local to me. Um, uh, the guy that was the president of the company had mentioned a place called Plotterkill, which is in Rotterdam, uh, New York, yeah. and I used to go there all the time. So I went, er, wait, you guys are local? <laughs> <laughs> Why would I talk to you over the internet if you're like in my town? So the, it turned out the office that for New Millennium Entertainment was in the back room of the local comic shop run by George Vasilakos. George went to my high school. He's always been a good artist. 
he actually painted the Raider on the Colony Central High School wall. I mean, he's always been a very impressive artist. So I went in and was like, okay, fine. I'm not going to do this over the internet. I'm just going to come in. And me and this guy named Frank Torkel um, became their, quote, official uh, playtesters. I actually uh, developed what's called the Qdex, uh, the ring, the graphical representation of how you show the difference between the technology and the magical realities of the different uh, pocket universes within Starshield. Um, but during that time, it became apparent that New Millennium Entertainment as a company was not going to succeed. They had the Battlelords of the 23rd Century CCG, which had uh, sold okay, but given the realities of the printing industry back then they had they just weren't making enough money to pay off the debt and whatnot uh to kind of so they had this big thing that was weighing down their company but they had conspiracy x and it was selling okay um, but they were running out of core books and they didn't know if they were going to be able to print the uh, expansion so i had this great idea i said well it was my great idea i guess but i went to george and i said well why don't you trade the debt on your house for conspiracy x so you tell them you'll pay off the debt on your house that was uh, security on the loan that they used to do. It was part of the security on the loan for CCG. And that way you don't have to lose, you know, if you're going to lose your house, at least do it um, because you are you weren't able to make your business work, not because of uh, a game that failed. And so he got Conspiracy X in exchange for basically agreeing to pay off his own loan on his own home. And then me and Alex Yurkett put in some money and we um, republished the core book and cryptozoology which was the next expansion and started eden studios and that's where eden studios started but i was really just uh the guy who uh, decided that i didn't want to see the the you know a guy that went to high school with me and owned my local comic book shop i didn't want him out on the street so i was like well i will do what i can do to help you there and so we started a company called eden studios um the only other real contribution i had to eden studios other than running the website and doing some um other stuff like financially was um i came up with the name <laughs> but other than that <laughs> that is i mean really it, i mean really it was alex's uh, editing skills and some development skills and george's uh um, development skills and his art that made Eden Studios what it is. And I believe, I don't know this, because I left Eden Studios after two years to quit, get a, quote, real job. Probably a big mistake, but I did anyway. I think it was George that got them the licenses for Angel and Buffy and some of the other properties that they've done work with. I'm not sure of that because I didn't, I, you know, honestly never asked. But um, I have not really been involved with Eden Studios since the publication of All Flesh Must Be Eaten. So anything that it's done since since then, I really haven't been a part of. Um, you know, we did Abduction. We did a computer game based on Iron Kingdoms or Iron whatever. The, it was a rail-building thing with dragons and stuff. Um, and we did some other stuff. But, you know, this is, the success of Eden Studios is, is wholly on the shoulders of uh, Alex and George based on, you know, um, what they did to build off of the success of Conspiracy X. So basically, apart from you know coming up with some of the money and doing the website and coming up with a name and help establish, you didn't do anything. No, no. no. <laughs> oh, I see. You're making fun of me. <laughs> well, I'm not well, making fun of you, but I'm, I'm, I'm playing that you're really playing very, very humble, where, where in reality you had, come on, you had a massive role in, in, in the success of that company. 
Well, I see, I believe that companies succeed and fail based on the products predominantly. And so I would say that the massive success, if you call it that, of like All Flesh is because George and Alex made it a good game, not because I happen to be part of the situation. I may have had a role, but my role is secondary to them making a good game. You can have, you know, let's talk marketing for a section. Mm-hmm. Second, I can market garbage, but I can only market it for so long. Eventually, people understand that it's garbage. And that could be garbage because the game, for instance, is garbage, or it can be garbage because the people making the game are, are jerks. Either way, eventually people, they get a bad taste in their mouth, and they don't want to have anything to do with it. Uh, and the success of Eden Studios, all flesh must be eaten or whatever, mostly, and I would say 95% of the success is because Alex and George made a good game, and George has run a good company, and you know, I mean, George is another good example. I mean, I think he is currently owns uh, Zombie Planet, which is his third retail store. Um, the first two stores didn't succeed, but he learned from, you know, that if you take a store as a product, the store um, uh, may have been a, an okay store the first time. It may have been a, a decent store the second time, but it's a great store now. Mm. And so he learned through his other failings, and we'll, we'll call them what they are. They failed, so that's okay. And it's just facts, but the current store is awesome, and he's doing a very good job. And so that's um, that success is partially because George loves the games and he loves the people that come into his store. But it's also because the product he is offering, the store, is a good product. And and so any any company, you know, Cobalt Quarterly would never never have succeeded if Wolfgang hadn't done a good job making mm-hmm. a good product. And if honestly, if Wolfgang hadn't been a good person. Because people will not work for jerks for very long, unless you're Steve Jobs, in which case, you know, whatever. Yeah, and you get paid a lot of money. Absolutely, I absolutely agree with you there. So what what, what happened after Eden Studios? You left and, and then what? Well, I went to college to get a – well, I originally went for engineering, pre, uh, pre-engineering computer science, but I had switched to accounting and um, – computer information systems. I had gotten a job working at Deloitte and Touche, which is one of the, back then it was one of the big six accounting firms. And I was a I was an auditor. So I had gotten a job that was going to pay the bills and um, Eden Studios couldn't pay the bills. And so I made the decision to uh, to move to New Jersey and take the job. And so one of the reasons that I had to leave Eden wasn't because of the job, but one of the requirements of the job was I couldn't own any other companies. So I had to make a decision. Do I want to pay the bills and feed my wife or do I want to um, make games? And I made the decision to take the job. And so I sold my ownership in Eden Studio to George, or sorry, to Alex. And then Alex ended up selling his to George eventually, I believe. Um, so, yeah, I ended up working. I basically audited financial statements of Merrill Lynch's mutual funds for a few years. Wow. Now that must have been so exciting. Not really, no. <laughs> but it paid the bills, and I learned a lot. Well, you know, I wouldn't change it. I mean, I I wouldn't be the person I am today if I hadn't gone there. Um, but sometimes I do regret that not having the opportunity to stay and um, be a part of Eden because George is a he makes good stuff and he's a good guy. So you know, who knows? Maybe uh, I'd still live in Albany, New York, and um, still be making little zombie games today if I hadn't uh, taken that job. But then again, Gamerati might not exist, and I might not have gone, you know, and been a part of Cobalt Quarterly. So who knows? True, true indeed. Um, well, and then you, you also had um, Hephaestus Forge. 
Yeah, so after I left Ian Studios, I couldn't bring myself to step away from games. It's just, you know, it, it, it it's a part of me. It's what I've always wanted to do. And I wanted to actually design a game of my own. And I had been playing around with the dice mechanic from Risk. You know, the um, uh, ties go to the to the defender, and it's, you know, D6s, you compare the rolls of the highest. And you know how Risk works, right? Mm. And so I was playing with a dice mechanic from Risk and looking on the internet for people who have done game design, and I came across Ron Edwards' website, and he had a downloadable text file for the light version of Sorcerer, and you can send him a dollar, and he would send you in the mail a um, stapled printout of the actual game, which I did. Um, and when I read it, it was basically the same dice mechanic I was developing, but with an actual game around it. so i was like well screw that i don't need to make a game now this guy's already made a game and it's actually pretty good so i ended up talking to ron a lot about sorcerer and publishing and you know my ulterior motive was i wanted him to actually put it in book format so i could go to my friendly local game store and see it on a shelf but there was other people that were out there that were making their own games and through our conversations i just one day decided to make a website called the forge well called hephaestus's forge and uh, eventually just ended up being called The Forge. Um, part of that was because I wanted to make a network of cool sites. At the same time, there was a site called The Escapist, which was a defensive gaming website. Uh-huh. And I kind of wanted to loop all these cool little websites into a network where we all supported each other. So there was The Escapist. There was another one called Zenga's Convention Listing or something like that, which doesn't exist anymore. Um and so I just made it, and I called up Ron, and I said, hey, man, look at this URL. And he goes, oh, cool. And I, you know, so at first it was just a, I would call it a blog. It was uh, some reviews, some, um, well, I mean, you can see I actually uploaded it. I can send you the link. It's The, the original Forge was nothing like what the Forge became when, um, when Clinton Nixon and Ron kind of took it and went even further with it. Um, but it was it stayed that way for about a year, a year and a half. Um, and then on 9-11, I joined the – well, after 9-11, I joined the Army, and those guys kind of made it into the community that spawned all the awesomeness that came later. Um, but, you know, at – Going back to what I said, I like finding people that do cool things and helping them out. I mean, the Forge was my contribution to the conversation about, you know, creator-owned gaming and people that aren't Dungeons and Dragons, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, the success of the Forge is because of people like uh, Vincent Baker and Clinton Nixon and Ron Edwards. They fostered a community um, that. Uh, that found those that conversation useful, but you know, uh, I'm an instigator, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Not necessarily the guy who made it really awesome. If you found anything useful out of the forge, uh, I would thank Ron and Clinton and and Vincent more than I would thank me. Well, having the role of instigator is not a bad thing, really. <laughs> That's actually pretty pretty cool, I would, I would say. Okay. And now you came back from 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 the army in in 2007. Um, and, and you suddenly became involved in advertising. Was that by accident, or is it something that you actually wanted to do? I didn't want to do it. No, actually, I was um, I was deployed actually in Iraq, and um, I had been a patron of um, the Open Design Projects mostly because I had a Plane of Shadows campaign. 
mm-hmm. and the second one was Shad- Castle Shadowcrag, and I really wanted the book, but I didn't want Wolfgang to send it to me in Iraq because I knew it would get destroyed. But he lived in Seattle, and I live an hour south of there, so I said, why don't you hold on to it, and I'll buy you a coffee when I get home, and you can hand it to me. How's that sound? And he said, sure. But then he talk- started talking about Cobalt Quarterly. And I got the, I immediately backed it, um, or whatever, patronized it, I guess would be the term back then. Um, he did Kickstarter before there was Kickstarter, <laughs> I guess. Um, and, uh, and then when I got the, the PDF for the first episode or the first issue and I'm reading through it and I knew the second issue was about to come out and, uh, I noticed there was really no advertising in there and I don't know much about publishing magazines, but I know that advertising is how you defray the cost of printing. Mm-hmm. So I wrote Wolf and I said, what are you doing for advertising? And he pretty much said he was giving it away. Um, that's not exactly what he was doing, but it was almost what he was doing. So I just asked him, do you want me to try to get you some more advertisers? I was just trying to be helpful. And you know, the next day I had Green Ronin, and I think I had Eden Studios. And I basically just contacted people that I knew when I was a publisher back from Eden Studios days. And so I had like two or three advertisers for him and he offered me a drink and I asked him for a job instead. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I basically, because I, I knew this whole time I did not want to be in the army, but I also didn't want to go back to being a suit. Uh, I had kids now and um, I had been spending time trying to do freelance. So I had tried to do freelance for Dragon and Dungeon Magazine because Paizo was the easiest place to do freelance. But Wizards had just pulled the license. Mm -hmm. So all the work I had done while I was in the desert had basically been for naught. And I was really distraught at the thought of having to go back and being a suit. I really don't want to do that. So I kind of jumped on the opportunity of uh, working for Wolf. And it just so happened that when I was getting out of the military, I had plans to go live in Eastern Europe for a year. So I wasn't going to have any expenses. So I could spend a year basically donating my time to Cobalt Quarterly and trying to build up my own business. Because I wasn't, there was no money going out during that time, and that's how working for KQ happened, and that's how Gamerati started, basically. And today, what does the Gamerati exactly do? I mean, yeah. I know what it do because I'm a member of the network and all that stuff, but for, for the listeners out there, well, you know, um, I've tried to find cool things and tell people about them. And there's a number of ways we do that, right? So um, we have the ad network which grew out of my association with KQ. Um, People wanted to advertise on websites and they wanted to give us money and I didn't have enough inventory. So I reached out to people like um, uh, Dungeon Mastering and Gnome Stew and whatnot, people like you, and said, hey, I have money. Do you want part of it? (laughs) (laughs) It was a very simple conversation. People said, sure. And so, you know, that part of Gamerati is, um, look, it's, if I was a publisher and I wanted, I had, let's say a hundred dollars to spend on advertising, I could go out to 30 different websites and say, Hey, I want to give you $3 to put ads on your website. That's a lot of work though. Mm. Um, and so the network just allows people with limited advertising budgets or limited time. So like Paizo, for instance, doesn't want to have to contact 30 different websites. They can just come to me. They can say, we want to be on Ian World, RPGNet, GMS Magazine, Cobalt Quarterly. Here's $100 or here's $300 or however much they want to spend, and boom, it's done. They only have to talk to one person. And um, website owners like you don't have to go out and try to get people people. to advertise. Mm. That's one of the things we do. Um, Honestly, it's my least favorite, but that's just because it's wholly based on, you know, 
money transfer. Uh, I think it's a valuable service, but it's n- not the most interesting thing that we do. Uh, some of the other stuff we do is like we take photos and videos at people's uh, events. Like I'm currently talking about Gatacon up in um, Victoria, British Columbia. I'm mm-hmm. um, hoping to go back there in February and you know shoot videos and take photos and whatnot. Um, we do have uh, you know reviews that we post, although I've been very lax at doing more of them lately. Um, so you know we do have a quote blog in a sense. Um, but you know the social channels. If somebody does something we think is cool, like uh, teach your kids to game. A week's coming up from drive-through. I think that's a cool um, thing, so we'll definitely be promoting that. Um, I do do some videos, like the I am the Gamerati videos, because I I just like celebrating how we all share this common community, but we're all very different. Uh, some of us are guys, some of us are girls, some of us are black, some of us are white. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, but we're all gamers, and um, because we're gamers, we have a shared there's something that draws us together, you know. You know, we do a lot of things like that, but you know, how I pay the bills. Sometimes it's consulting. Um, like I set up the uh, social media program at uh, CCP White Wolf. They asked for my help and um, went in there. And for 14 months, I, you know, played with their social media and uh, did a really good job. I thought so. Um, I guess right now, from a how do I pay the bills standpoint, it's partly the advertising, partly consulting, and uh, I guess media coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the consulting is honestly becoming more and more of it um, with the rise of Kickstarter and stuff. Uh, some people just don't have the time, or the energy, or the expertise to go out and you know tell people about their stuff. That, that is actually very, very encouraging to hear. One of the things that I've always um, moaned about to an awful lot of people is how absolutely atrocious uh, most RPG companies are at marketing and promotion. Um, I mean, starting with Wizards of the Coast and and finishing with the small one-man band who doesn't really have time for for many things, it's Mm -hmm. really difficult to find a company who does a good job of advertising. Uh, Have you seen an, an an improvement in at least the awareness of what marketing's marketing and promotion advertising can do for the RPG business. I think this is a question that gives a yes and a no, mm-hmm. um, and it's not just because of um, the tools that are out there, but the ec- the economy of how you publish a role playing game has just changed so much in the last thirty years when Judges Guild was doing their thing and they were, you know, selling you an adventure for five to ten dollars thirty years ago, um, the expectation of print quality and everything was very different than it is today. Yep. And the dollar went a l- little bit further back then than it does today. Or the pound or whatever country you happen to be in. I mean inflation has definitely eaten into the value of every currency over the last thirty years. So but the prices haven't really gone up very much. I mean they have, but not a whole lot. And so um, part of my answer is no in the sense that some of the things that we're battling today are different than the things that people battled back then. The industry is definitely smaller as far as numbers of people in some ways. But then again, I don't see Paizo having a problem with PFS. So there's people playing Pathfinder Society probably more so now than even played during the, the height of the RPGA. And so I would go back to... 
what I said about products. And if you have a good product, people will buy it. Um, look at uh, just today. Um, you can go on Kickstarter and see The Strange, right? Yes. which is Monty Cook's latest offering made by Bruce Cordell. People may know Bruce Cordell from, was it Firestorm Keep? His first adventure for TSR back in the day mm. where he introduced the Far Realm, which has been his, uh, I guess, campaign within a campaign that he's constantly been touching on over the years. A little bit here, a little bit there. I anticipate The Strange will have a lot of that. People shouldn't be very shocked to see that two guys who've known each other since they were 15 and they're best friends and they get together inside Monty Cook Games and they put out a product called The Strange is going to get the reception it has because they've spent 30 years or 25 years making good stuff that people really like. And so people are willing to take a risk on them. And I think that it's hard for people who have never done anything to really uh, get out there in the same way. And they look at people like Monty or Bruce or other companies and they say, wow, look at the success that they've had. But that success is based on blood, sweat and tears. Yes. You know, it's based on over two decades of doing really good work. Not always perfect, but so what? Nobody's perfect. Um, I'm not perfect for sure. Um, but they have consistently um, been good people. You know, they haven't uh, done bad things to people. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And they've given good product. And people have enjoyed the product that they've, that they've made. And in the case of, you know, Bruce and Monty specifically, they've been very gracious on most counts. Uh, I don't know any any account of uh, Monty never being anything but gracious to people. You know, he's always been a positive person and people respond to that. Of course, you know, given the internet, people respond to bad things as well, but by and large, they've been very positive influence on the industry. So it's not hard for me to understand that people would respond so joyously to the announcement of a new game from them. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the tools that we have like social media and, you know, don't discount straight up advertising and True. going to events. They're useful, but by and large, they're useful if you have cons you've demonstrated consistently to the people out there that you are bringing value to the table. There's a guy uh, I don't know his name, but um, I'd have to look it up. He he coined a phrase called "be there before the sale," and I think that if people are going to want to publish on their own, what they need to do is kind of keep that in mind. It's easier to quote, sell somebody something if mm. they already know who you are. Uh, you're a good example, Paco. If, Me? if GMS magazine wanted to do a new project and you were looking to get eyes on it, you have consistently over the last few years given value to people and they're l more likely to want to help you and support you and even take a risk on you. Because you've already demonstrated that you're there for them. You're part of the tribe, right? Uh, you've given them value. A good example for me would be the No Direction guys. I'm helping them with their Kickstarter right now. But they've been doing a smash-up job over the last three, four years of doing podcasts. So when they asked their community for help with buying new equipment and whatnot, they were immediately there to help them. And, mm. you know, they're halfway through their Kickstarter and they're, they're approaching it. They're doing, yeah, they're doing well. Um, I hope that they do even better Indeed. Um, because because they have a good product and they're good people. They, they are rather nice. I, I have um, heard their podcast a few times and mm -hmm. I, they are they're really nice guys. Yeah, and I really, if I had to give any publisher uh, advice, it would be make a good product and be a good person. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I agree with what you're saying about um, be there before you make the sale. You know, I have um, in, in my company, um, it's, it's run by a guy called Steve Rayson, who I absolutely adore. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. And um, during one of the talks that he's given many times in the company, he said two things. That if, if people don't know who you are, uh, you have to give your stuff away for free. You really need to show them that you're happy to share, that, that you're happy to spread the knowledge and that you're there to really enhance their business, mm-hmm. not to take your money, not to take their money. You know, to, taking their money is secondary. It happens because it has to happen because you need to make a living, but not because it's what you're there to do. Um, and, and he's been proven very, very right very, very often. And I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, people need to develop that presence. They need to develop that, hey, I'm here because I want to do something really cool. And you're part of that cool thing that I want to do. So, I'm, you know, take a look and see what you like. And if you do, great. And if you don't, tell me why. And I'll, I'll listen to you. I think that matters a great deal in, in the RPG industry. I think it matters a great deal in life. Mm. Um I mean, let's say you and I went to the same church, and uh, uh, you said that you were going to mow the lawn, and the lawn didn't get mowed. It's not a big deal. I mean, if you say, "Hey, I got a cold and I couldn't do it," it's one thing. Um, but if you you come to you know the guy and you're like, "Hey, well," and you start blaming everybody else, you're not taking responsibility for your own actions. Um, then, you know the ability for you to uh, communicate just goes down because people aren't going to take you seriously. Uh, it could be the PTA, it could be the soccer team, it could be whatever it happens to be, uh, any group of people. Um, you know, just uh, and maybe that touches on the uh, transparency and openness thing that's been going on in, in the world in the last 10 years. Um, you know, I think people really do respond to, to honesty um, in a way that you can't pay for. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah, Fred Hicks publishes the sales figures for all of his mm. games on his website. Um, I think people respond to that. They respond to it well, and you don't always have to agree with somebody. I mean, look, let's be honest. Let's take advertising as a great example. Um, there's a couple of people in the RPG industry that have said that they think that, um, and Fred's one of them actually. Um, I disagree with them 100% on something. It's he doesn't view advertising as a good sales. Um, mechanism. He only views it as a good branding mechanism. Um, I, I disagree with him mm. because I don't believe that advertising is useful for branding. I think it's a waste of money. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but that's okay. Uh, I think that if you can have a disagreement with somebody intellectually but not have it be personal, then you're in a good spot. Um, and uh, it's when things get ugly and personal that we have a problem. Mm. And um, And by and large, people succeed that aren't Ugly, <laughs> and yep. I don't mean that from a physical standpoint. No, I no, mean no, from no, definitely behavioral, right? behaviorally, behaviorally ugly. Um, and you know, uh, we're all human, though we all make mistakes. And um, the good news, though, is that you know people can come back from them. Uh, to use a very good example, um, uh, let's take somebody everybody knows, Richard Nixon. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a pariah when he left the White House, but the stuff that he did later on in life, um, you know, probably got him a little bit more respect. Um, but if if the end of if the story of Richard Nixon ended when he got on that helicopter, 
you know, with the, I'm not a crook with the two fingers up, right? <laughs> then, then we would be saying something very different about the person. Likewise, uh, you know, you can fall from grace. Um, there's people that have done uh, great things. And then we find out that they're not as nice of people as we thought they were, like Lance Armstrong. Yes. Um, and so there's no substitute for a good product, and, but there's also no substitute for being a good person. Um, Definitely agree with that. Uh, there is uh, one caveat to this uh, that I would say when you're going to publish something, and that is the magic of just happening to hit it right, uh, hitting the zeitgeist at the right moment with the right thing. Um, there was a Kickstarter last year for uh, a miniature line, and it was these little. It was like a little baby dwarf, and then a teenage dwarf, and then an adventuring dwarf, and then an old dwarf. And it was each packet or skew or whatever was a different dwarf at four stages in life. Do you remember that one? No, I don't. I think the guy asked for like twelve hundred dollars and ended up getting like a hundred and forty thousand. And I thought at the time, wow, this guy must have like thousands of followers on Twitter and thousands of whatever. And he had like six followers on Twitter. And like, <laughs> A dozen people on Facebook. He was a nobody. And I don't mean that. I'm not trying to uh, insult the person. Um, From a social media standpoint, he didn't do all the things that the common intelligentsia or whatever the talking heads say you need to do to prepare yourself to be successful. He just so happened to hit it at the right moment, at the right time, with the right message. That said, if he doesn't follow up with good product or if it turns out that he's not a good person, then his next project won't do as well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, you ca- you can't plan for capturing uh, lightning in a bottle. It's a lot easier to just do good work, <laughs> you know. And what good work are you going to continue doing? What's what's going to happen to the Gamerati from now on? What, what are you expecting or longing to do with it? I've always been kind of a data geek, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, like part of the reason why I wanted to do the ad network, for instance, is because I wanted to try to answer the question, how many people are on the internet going mm-hmm. to sites like yours? And nobody can answer the question. I mean, there's not really been a study of the game industry since 2000 when Wizards of the yeah. Coast was planning on doing Dungeons & Dragons 3rd Edition. And so one of the things I would like to do is is to try to get a better handle on that so that publishers and retailers and conventions have a better handle on who's out there and how to reach them. Um, that's something I've been wanting to do for years. I just don't have the talent to do it because it takes programming and I could program my way out of a... <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever. Like I can't do it. Yeah, I'm just not a pro. It's like art, art and programming. The two things that I wish I had, I, I, I have no talent in whatsoever. Um, you know, I can code a web page, but that's easy. Yeah. Um, that's not the same thing as what I'm talking about. And so, um, I think I would love to be able to do stuff like that. Right now, though, um, right now, honestly, what's worrying inside me is two different desires. Um, one desire is to do more with the game, Ronnie, mm-hmm. to offer more things really well, blah, 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 expand, expand, expand. And the other one is to just be happy with what I have and spend time with my kids. Lately, I've just been happy with what I have. And as long as I can pay the bills, I'm a happy man. And uh, I can take my kids to soccer practice or gymnastics or whatever. And so I would say, you know, right now, the game, Ronnie, I'm just looking for people that think the way I think so that I can celebrate their stuff. And I'm, I'm content with that. I don't really need to be, you know, the biggest and the best. Well, I would like to be the best at what I do. I mean, that's just a pride thing, but I don't need to do more necessarily. I just want to do enough. 
You know, I think Ed, that if you be actually became the best, you would be so humble that you would never admit it. I hope so. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, not to be an idiot about it, but I hope so. I really, I, I fear the day that I, I become a bad person. Um, and I, I, I will tell you a story about something that happened to me in the military. Um, so I was in E4. It was between, I'm not an, uh, an NCO, so I'm not really like a guy in charge for anybody who doesn't know anything about the military. Um, we had just come back from our first deployment. We're spooling up for a second one. And I had a problem with one of the other soldiers. He was a new soldier, fresh out of basic training. Uh, he had something as small as taken my water bottle out of my bag. And I just asked him to pay for it. And he basically told me to, you know, pan sand, uh, you know, pound sand, you know, get away from me. And I lost my crap on him. I really did. Like I lost my temper and, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't know. Bad day, bad food, bad sleep. I don't know what it was. I lost my temper with the guy and he was in the wrong. But what upset me about it is that I lost my temper, mm. that I allowed myself to lose control over something as stupid as a dollar twenty-five water bottle. And to this day, there's it's only things like that that really haunt me. Days that you know things that I've let's say done that I just you can't take back. Um, I wouldn't take them back anyway because then I wouldn't have the lesson of why I shouldn't do that again. But at the same time, my only regrets regrets in life are the times where I haven't been honest or I haven't done the right thing or I've lost control. Um, and so I hope that if I ever do do. I said do do. Uh, if I ever do, do things, you know, if Gamerati or me or whatever gets bigger or better or whatever, I hope that uh, somebody has to tell me that. I hope I don't realize it, um, because honestly, the industry, the world is too big for one person's ego. Um, you know, it's kind of like why I'm glad that every time a publisher gets big, quote unquote, or does good, um, because I think there's more than enough room for. 20 different Wizards of the Coasts. Mm. You know, I wish that there was, I wish Wizards of the Coast and Paizo and uh, Catalyst and Atlas Games, I wish all of them would get as big as possible and make awesome games for us all to have great experiences around. So, yeah, yeah. although I don't think I'll ever be a publisher, to be honest with you. Well, you never know what life will throw in front of you. Not not like them. You know, I don't know if I would ever be, I'm, I, honestly, I'm, I'm not a very good uh, project manager. I'm, a, I'm an okay project leader. I'm a good instigator, but um, you know, everyone has their talents. My talents, I don't think I don't think I'd make a good Lisa Stevens. You know what I'm saying? Mm. She has a definite ability to lead. Yeah. Um, and there are people. Uh, Fred Hicks is another person that's you know he's he's good at leading, and um, the people follow. Uh, I'm good at instigating, and I, I'm okay with that. Fair enough, sir. Ed, thank you so much for being with me today. As I thought it would be, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it was great, man. Thank you. You made me feel very at home. Good. Thank you very much. Um, you, you're most welcome to, to I mean, make, make this place your home anytime you like. Okay. Well, you know, you invite me. I'll come back. <laughs> thank you for listening. Hosting and production for this podcast have been by Paco Garcia and the music's been composed by Kev Atzet. We would love to hear from you. Feedback and your questions are always welcome and you can email us at podcast.gmsmagazine.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at GMS Magazine. And we are also on Facebook and Google+. I'm very, very happy to talk to you. 
Remember to subscribe to the GMS Magazine podcast channels in iTunes and give us a review or two and a rating, please. And it's truly appreciated if you do. For more quality shows, remember to listen to other rooms like the RPG Room, the Interview Room and the Board Game Room and more rooms that might be coming very soon indeed. But, friends, until the next time, let the games continue.